All right, hello, family. God is good. Amen. Thoroughly good. If you are a guest or a curious skeptic with us, uh, we want to welcome you to Crossway today. Uh, if you would, guys, open your Bibles up to Genesis 39. Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis 39, 1 through 23. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Now Joseph, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Parafrat, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Israelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused that all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that, made, that he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to the master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master had no concerns about anything in his house, and he had put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now then, how can I do this? great wickedness and sin against God. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house, and as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among you a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice, he cried out, and he left the garment behind me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up the garment by her until her, the master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant who you had brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as he, 
As soon as I left up my voice and cried, he left the garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as I heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treats me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever you had done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are so good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And Lord, you have only ever been good to us all our life. Speak to us out of your goodness. Help us here. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. There is something about being far from home that can make us forget ourselves and forget the relationships, all the relationships that we are tied to. And we maybe, uh, maybe we travel uh, out on a deployment or maybe out of state uh, for a particular job that we're going to do or we head to a work convention or weeks of conferences. Uh, so we find ourselves in strange places, in hotel rooms, uh, maybe eating in lobbies or lounges or different restaurants than normal. Depending on how far we travel, our, time, our sense of time is usually scrambled up. Our sleep is disturbed. Our schedules are suspended. I mean, we want fried chicken at 3 a.m., you know what I mean, instead of sleep. When we are far from home, we experience the disorientation of both luxuries and loneliness. I mean, we, we have this sense, like we know we're somebody's mother still. We, we know we're someone's husband or son or neighbor, but all the support systems that used to subtly remind us of these relationships, they're no longer there to remind us who we are. They're no longer there to remind us who we're tied to because we're not home. Being far from home has the power to either strengthen who we are as God's people or wreak havoc on our true identity as his sons and daughters. It has that kind of power. When Joseph was just 17, uh, if you remember in the last few weeks we talked about this, God gave him two dreams, two dreams about his brothers and his entire family actually bowing down uh, before him. These dreams uh, implied that Joseph would rule over his family. Pretty heady stuff for a, a high schooler, right? But instead of willingly submitting to God's providential will, his brothers beat him. And they decided to sell him into slavery. Joseph was trafficked all the way from his home to the continent of Africa. That's a mighty long ways away from home. He was trafficked all the way to Africa, sold as a slave to an Egyptian officer named Potiphar, 
And so here we are, we're reading the story. Joseph, the point is, Joseph is far from home. He is completely surrounded by people who speak a different language. He's never been here before. Do you understand? He's never been here before. Think about that. Surrounded by people who speak a different language, they dress differently. Not only this, there are shrines literally everywhere he walks, everywhere he goes, every place he would go into. There are shrines everywhere to, uh, to these false gods, and people are worshiping all these other foreign false gods, not the God of his father Jacob, the God that his dad taught him about. He's navigating all this. They're, 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 in other words, there is nothing familiar to him it's like he woke up one morning and the entire world changed on him. I mean, just imagine how disorienting life had to be for this young man in this strange new world that he all of a sudden finds himself in. Can you relate to that? Can you relate even to a little bit of that level of disorientation? And so what the text tells us is that even though Joseph is far from home, that does not mean that he's far from God. God is with Joseph. He says this over and over. God providentially raises Joseph, Joseph up to the penthouse suite. And God providentially takes him down to the pit of the prison. All in the same chapter. So here, here's the temptation that Joseph faces in this strange world that he finds himself in. Will he forget he belongs to God? Because everything is made to help him forget that. As believers, this relates to us. You know, we, you know, we live in a world that's not our true home, and it's, it is painfully disorienting at times. Amen? I mean, we are constantly tempted to forget that we belong to God so that the living will be less painful. Because maybe if I just forget about God and all these promises and stuff, maybe I, I can just get through the wick a little better. I won't ache as much, right? We are tempted when we have success and comfort, brothers and sisters, and we are tempted to forget God when we have pain and we experience loss and those comforts taken away. What I'm saying is this. There is never a time when we're not tempted to forget that we belong to God. And so this is why we need to hear what God is saying in this passage today. The good news is that we can resist temptation no matter its form. We can resist temptation because God is with us in the temptation. And that's what I want to talk about this, this afternoon. Both of those halves. God is with us when we're tempted by success. God is with us when we're tempted by success, or you could say comfort. Look at the text here, verses 2 and 3. It says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Even though Joseph is separated from his family, is living as a slave in Potiphar's house, God is with him, and God causes him to be abundantly successful. The text is clear. This is not because like Joseph has a particular skill set or because of his gifts or his talents or that he's suave or something, that there's a success that's happening. It is because God has caused all this to happen through Joseph in his life. 
Everything his hand touches flourishes. Every decision that he makes, it is the right decision. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? (laughs) Joseph is winning. He's winning at life. And, you know, it feels good to win at life, does it not? Someone say amen. You guys alive out there? It feels good. The answer is yes. It feels good to win at life. And guess what? The Bible says that Potiphar is blessed as a result of God blessing Joseph. I mean, this is just carrying right out what God told Abraham, right? I will bless you and you'll be a blessing. Like, God's keeping his promise. It's happening. I bless you and you bless all the other people that are non-believers around you. And so, what happens? Well, Potiphar makes Joseph's life in this strange land more comfortable. Joseph gains respect, and he gains some of his dignity back as a man. He gains some responsibility. He even gains authority over Potiphar's entire household. He's running the staff. Potiphar doesn't even have to stay home now. He goes out now to do stuff. It's amazing. I mean, Potiphar has made, uh, Potiphar has made it as if he isn't even a slave anymore. Like, did you feel that as, as we were reading that? Like, we forget, it's like he's an employee. Like, we f- totally forget he's a slave. Life's good, right? Because God's made life good for Joseph. And Joseph's made life good for Potiphar. I mean, and as, 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 as he, he's winning all the comforts. With all the comforts, with all the perks, with all the success, with all this respect, life is very good for Joseph. It's as good as you could get if you're a slave in a f- foreign land that doesn't make sense to you. And if this all wasn't enough, God made Joseph handsome. (laughs) As a man, that really stuck out to me, I got to say. I mean, in the Hebrew, it says something to the effect of he was well-built with structure and easy to look at. (laughs) He had a nice frame. I mean, some guys get all the luck, right? It's like God gave him a job and a nice life and a a scoop of ice cream, like right on top. That's like what, that's Joseph. And after a while, Potiphar's wife, who's always in the house, Potiphar's not in the house anymore, but his wife's always in the house. Well, she notices this 17-year-old, he's probably 18 by now, 18-year-old, very successful, wise, capable, efficient, strong, tanned, toned, servant boy who's running an entire staff, and she tries to seduce him. She whispers these sweet offers, if you know what I mean, into his ears, day after day after day after day after day. Joseph's success has put him in a place of power. It's put him in a place of position within the household. It would have been so easy for Joseph to abuse it, to gratify himself, right? It would have been so easy for this young man to say, you know what, I got to this position because of my sacrifice and my dedication and my wisdom. I mean, I'm making the decisions, and they always turn out right. And it's going well. I work hard for Potiphar. I made my master what he is today. Shouldn't I get a little something extra? Shouldn't I get a little, some, some little indulgent on the side? Because I got the power now to do that. 
Besides, this wasn't my idea to be brought here. This wasn't my idea. I had dreams, and this wasn't my dream. Nobody will know. Nobody will see. Nobody will care. Right? Would have been really easy for him to say that. Power is simply, it is simply the ability to do something. It's a simple definition of power. It's just the ability to do something. We all have a measure of power within our various relationships that we're tied Two, if you are a parent, then you have a measure of power in relation to your children. There's a power dynamic there. If you are a spouse, then you have, a pow- then you have power in relation to your mate. If you are a teacher, then you have power in relation to your students. If you are a healthcare worker, then you have power in relation uh, to your patients. They're coming to you for the help. The, so the more success that we have, typically, the more power that people grant us. We need to see that there is a great temptation, brothers and sisters, for us to forget ourselves when we are winning at life. And doors are open for us, and we are succeeding, and things are going our way, and frankly, just life is comfortable. There's a temptation here. It's a real temptation. It's easy for us to justify giving into the false ideas, or as Christians we would call them the false idols of the world, the false idols of Egypt. It's okay, that's God, and I can take another little God on the side. What's the problem? Life's good. It's easy to think that we are Egyptians when we're living in Egypt and experiencing great success and perks no less. But we must remember that we are children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, wherever we go, no matter what world we find ourselves in, right? In other words, we are children of God and his promise. This is how we respond to the temptation to forget God and success. Look at what Joseph says in verse 9. He says, he, Potiphar, is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knows that to give in to sexual temptation with Potiphar's wife is ultimately to forget God. That's actually the greatest sin. That's the greater sin. He's not saying, how can I do this to you, or how can I do this to my master? That's implied. He's saying, he goes ultimate. How could I do this to God? And that's how he's, he lives all of life, Coram Deo, before the face of God. And we do too. See, Joseph has to forget God, all that God has given him, before he ever gives into the temptation. That's what's got to happen first, right? Do you see this? And he knows that. He's, he's naming that and calling that out. He has to forget that God has blessed him with his power. God has given the position before he ever uses that power and position to gratify his own urges. But Joseph knows that he's in a relation with God first, wherever he finds himself. And Joseph says that the only reason that he's been successful and the only reason that he has been wise and handsome and all of this is because God has been with him. That's the only reason. 
He is nothing without God, and he is very mindful of this. In fact, he's vocal about it, too, because he wants to remind himself of that fact in a place that's supposed to make him forget all of that. Do you see this? Brothers and sisters, the only reason that we experience success is because God is with us. And this is, an, this is an antidote, if I could use that word. This is an antidote against the temptation of success. If you have children that turn out well in life, it, is only, it isn't, it's only because of God. It's not because of your great parenting skills. It is only because God was with you in it. If your project is moving forward when others' projects stalled out, it is only because God was with you in it. The reason that you have the power or the position that you have is not because of your amazing wisdom or your inexhaustible work ethic. It is ultimately because God is with you in it. And we need to remember that and put that in front of our face. So when you are tempted to use the, use the success or the power or even the comfort that you might be experiencing to gratify yourself, remember all that God has given to you. The Lord has been with you and he has been good to you. Say along with Joseph, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It is only because God has been with me that I am what I am. It is only because God has been with me that I even have what I have. And all glory to God. Family, we must actively find ways to regularly vocalize this. It may be that if you don't say this, you ain't going to hear it. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to put this in front of our eyes so that we remember this truth while we're living in a place that is designed to make us forget. This is the part we play in this. But there is another form of temptation that, that God actually helps us resist. God is with us when we are tempted by loss. God is with us when we are tempted by loss. Loss of success and comfort and perks. Look at verses 20 and 21. It's right here. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Despite Joseph's best effort at avoiding and resisting Potiphar's wife, he finds himself alone in the house with her one day. She pulls him close to him. And this time, Joseph doesn't engage in conversation, does he? He doesn't even speak a word to her, right? He runs, and he risks being called a coward. He runs from her. He leaves his cloak and his garment in her hands. That's not the first time it's happened to Joseph, has it, by the way? It's some, Genesis is some great writing, guys. It's beautiful. This woman falsely accuses Joseph of trying to rape and shame her and uses this garment, his own garment, as circumstantial evidence. Potiphar gets publicly embarrassed in front of his entire staff. 
by his wife, and she pressures him into dealing immediately with this situation. But instead of killing his slave, Potiphar, for some unknown reason, (laughs) decides to throw Joseph into prison where everybody but God forgets about him. It's a really interesting twist here. But do you see what's happening? Joseph goes from the cushy, comfortable life at the top to sleeping with the fleas every night. Once again, someone strips him of his garment, strips him of his high position, his human dignity, his future, even his life. And to put some salt in the wounds, Joseph has done nothing wrong to deserve any of this. It's not right. It's not right. He's kept his integrity. He's not forgotten God, and he ends up in prison anyway? Surely now these events will make Joseph bitter. Surely now Joseph will turn away from the Lord. He will forget God and pick up a different God and say, you're my God now, right? Yet instead of, instead of this, his sufferings actually propel him towards God. Isn't that amazing? The theologian John Calvin writes in his his commentary on Genesis 39, he says, quote, and to flee into God is the only stay which will support us in our afflictions. The only armor which renders us invincible. You know, it's one, one type of misery to have never experienced comfort or never experienced happiness in life. And it is another level of ministry to have a to have successful, a comfortable life and then have that all stripped away from you. And we know this can breed bitterness, amen? This can breed self-pity and malice, or, 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 it can propel us, like Joseph, into seeking and experiencing the deeper mercies of God in a way that we never did in the penthouse. I, I think we could apply this like on a historical and societal level as well as an individual level. You know, the church in America has until recent years experienced an unprecedented privileged position in society more than unlike any other society in modern history. What I mean is this, the Judeo-Christian worldview was the assumed standard of thinking for hundreds of years. It just was assumed. That's just the way we, that's our grid that everyone thought through. Most people assume God existed. Whether they believed it or not, they just assumed he existed. Most people assumed that the Bible was true. Most people took for granted and accepted that it's the moral standard of what is right and wrong. Most people saw the church as pretty much good for society. And the fact is that when you look at the history of civilization, that's not normal. That's not normal. We've been an anomaly for a long time, but it feels normal. And now much of that honor and respect and deference that society once gave Christians and Christianity and Christian thinking that's being stripped away. And it's really uncomfortable, isn't it? It really is. It stinks. What's the point? 
points this. There is a great temptation right now for us to get very bitter and even wrathful at those that are eroding the comforts that we have enjoyed by God's grace for the last couple of hundred years. And this is how some of the church are responding. I hate you. Give me back what's mine. But if Joseph's life shows us anything, it shows us that nothing happens outside the hand of God's great providence. And we must remember this. And if that's true, and it is true, if that is true, then we may not merely be angry, it may not merely be people that we're angry with. Maybe we might be angry with God and how he is allowing new discomforts for his people. What if this? What if God does strip away some of his blessings and his comforts? What if God chooses to do that? What if that is the Lord's hand of providence at work so that many unbelievers may come into salvation through the church? What if he allows our discomforts in order to refine our faith in him and nothing else? Refine it like pure gold. Will we run toward him and accept this from his hand? Or will we run away and become bitter? And when we look at Joseph... In the face of such crushing losses, we expect Joseph to forget God. We would even give him a pass, like, it's okay, we get it. But instead, he's faithful to God. And we've got to ask a question, like, how is that possible? Like, do you know, like, we see what he's living through, right? How is this possible? Well, it's possible, the text tells us, because that God is faithful to Joseph first. God was with Joseph. That's the only reason why Joseph's still with God. These last verses, they're very similar to the first verses that started the story, but there's this important little insert, there's this little addition that I noticed at the end, and it was very curious to me. I want to share it with you. I want to highlight this. Let's look at it again. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Everything's the same from the beginning to end, but that is, is only there in the last verses when he's in the prison. I found that really curious. There's something extra added there. There's something extra that God did. The Lord did not merely bless Joseph or give him favor with people like he did before his success when he was winning. The Lord did all of that, but much more. The text says that the Lord showed him steadfast love while he was in the pit. God gave him extra while he was there that he didn't give him when he was up in the penthouse. Isn't that neat? In his loss, in suffering, in the darkness of the prison, when things were at its worst, God gave Joseph more of what he needed most. God gave Joseph himself, but in a special manifestation. It says that he showed him this love. It was his own presence to let Joseph know that he really loves him. Nothing separated you from my love, Joseph. And this is what kept Joseph from falling into that temptation of loss. 
the steadfast love of God was shown to Joseph. The one thing that Joseph actually needed was the one thing that could never be stripped away, the steadfast love of the Lord, which endures forever. Amen? Brothers and sisters, God has not just given this to Joseph. God has given this to you and I. God has given us a special manifestation of love through Jesus Christ. And so whether we gain success or when we suffer loss and we are tempted, the Holy Spirit can reapply this wonderful love to our hearts over and over and over again as many times as needed. Isn't that wonderful? It says it right here in Romans 5, 5. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Do you really know how much God loves you? I mean, do you know the extent to which God has gone to be with us so that we would be one with him? that we would not fall away in the face of temptation. God came all the way from heaven to earth to be with us, and that's a long way. He, the immortal and invincible God, put on frail, fragile flesh for us because he loves us. He was stripped of his, not only his garment, but he was stripped of his dignity, his humanity, his majesty for us because he loves us. He endured the same temptation to forget God that we do, and Christ endured them to the point of being torn apart. And why? So that when those temptations come, they would not tear us apart and tear us away from the love of God. That is how much He has loved us and still loves us. That's what you and I need to hear today. He's not just with us, but he loves us. So run to Christ. Run to Christ when you are tempted. He is your steadfast love that will not let you go. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the cost that you paid to come running after us. And remind us of this. When we feel down, when we feel dark, remind us of how much you love us. If nobody loves us, you still love us. And that is enough. In fact, that's plenty. And we thank you for this. Take these truths, bury them deep, deep in our heart, and let them grow. Let them flourish. Let them produce fruit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.